Well, happy Father's Day. Yes, uh, so we decided that we would talk about Proverbs 31 on Father's Day. Talk about really nailing it, right? Like when, and I would love to blame someone else, except I planned our sermon series, so this is my fault. Uh, or you're welcome, whatever. Um, so I'm so glad to be with you this morning. Welcome to the summer edition of Church 21, where the relationships go deeper but there are fewer to have relationships with, right? Where people start to span out in the summer vacationing and doing all kinds of wonderful things. So uh, really excited for summer. We're actually going on vacation uh, this next week, which really grateful for. And uh, it's been a long uh, two years. Yeah, it's just been a long time. So uh, let me pray again. Thank you, Henry, for praying. I just need to pray again. Jesus, thank you that you're here. Thank you, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that we got to hear from Holly this morning that it was your word that changed her. And so would you do that with us? Thank you that you are present and you're active and you're moving. Thank you for the ability to do things differently. Um, when we bump into different circumstances, we can view them as uh, problems or obstacles or as opportunities uh, from you to do things differently. And so thank you for that this morning. We love you and we need you for everything. Amen. All right, the word excellent, the word excellent, it's a rather subjective word, could mean a whole host of things, that movie was excellent, we don't really use that word all that much anymore, but the movie was excellent, the meal was excellent, the conversation was excellent, the relationship is excellent. But as we apply it specifically to what uh, we're going to look at this morning in Proverbs 31, it says right away in verse 10, an excellent wife or an excellent woman, who can find? Some of us have found a spouse, some of us are looking for a spouse, and most certainly when we were looking or are looking, we want for that spouse to be excellent. And maybe we haven't found that person yet because we haven't found someone that has matched our criteria of what excellent really is. Here's what our culture says about the excellence of a, a spouse or a marriage. 14 values. Uh, one, respect. Two, vulnerability. Three, trust. Four, honest. Five, empathy. Six, kindness. I'm going to stop numbering them because no one cares. Uh, boundaries, commitment, thoughtfulness, forgiveness, gentleness, affection, appreciation, and mutual validation. Those are really good things. I would say every relationship should have those things, but I would say those aren't enough. In aiming for those things, we'll, we'll end up uh, either condemning ourselves or condemning our spouse. Because there's no power to actually arrive at those things other than self-change. And we all know how well we are at self-change, right? A lot of the, uh, the New Year's resolutions. That, remember we, we had New Year's in January and some of you made resolutions? How many of you are still doing your New Year's resolutions? Amazing. One. One. Way to go. Right? Why do we waste our time? Right? We're not good at self-change. And really, Proverbs 31 is the, the kind of go-to passage about women. I remember growing up, I grew up in the church. I wasn't a follower of Jesus growing up, but in the church. And they would talk about being a Proverbs 31 woman. And it was like, you know, cross-stitched with a little bunny family or a little mice family. And I have a lot of problems with that because mice seem so cute when they're cross-stitched, but the minute that mice get in the home, those same Proverbs 31 women are vicious. 
There are traps set up everywhere. Kill the mice. It's like, but they're in your bathroom with a Proverbs 31 thing tagged under it. Anyway, it's a go-to passage about women. And I would say Proverbs 31 is not a complete prescription. If you read Proverbs 31 trying to figure out who do I need to be as a woman, I think you're going to be misled. Because Proverbs is not meant to be a prescription. I went to the doctor a few weeks ago. Uh, I have some liquid in my ear, really strange. It's been there for years. And he prescribed me something. And I'm using that prescription, right? He didn't give me wisdom. Well, try not to do this or try not to do this. And maybe you should think about changing this. It's like, use this. Proverbs 31 is not meant to be that. It's meant to be wisdom. Because there are many aspects to being a woman, that some of you women are like, why are you even talking about this? Because it's Father's Day, and here we are, right? I think that this passage really can be used to condemn women. I think it can be used to condemn women because we, we put our understanding or our few verses that we like from this onto uh, the women in the church, and we say, this is what it means to be a woman, and we put them inside of a box, and we, we, we force them to be that type of woman, but this is actually, it should be a very freeing passage because we see so many different elements of being a, a woman in here that you should feel very, very free, and ultimately, to be a woman is to, is to be all about Jesus, that all of your life would be about Jesus. And to be a man is to be all about Jesus. And to be a child is to be all about Jesus. And so there's so much freedom in this text, even though the text focuses in on a woman. But what we're going to do today is we're actually going to go into this text. And there are specific applications to women, but there are general applications to everyone. And so we're going to go in and out the entire sermon, looking at how does this apply to being a woman and how does this apply to everyone. In a very real way, though, and maybe you've never read Proverbs 31 this way, but many commentators say this is a legit way to read Proverbs 31, that Jesus might be actually talking about his spouse as well and how his spouse would be at work in this world. And so there's multiple levels of wisdom here in this text. But let me start with this. I have all these little rants that I'm going to try and not go into super deep. We're doing a series called Sextember in September because we're clever and we know how to replace one letter. Um, but when we, when we get to September, we're going to do a whole month on, on sex and things related to sex. And one of those is going to be dating. So we're going to talk about those. We're actually having a singles night. I think it's the first time we've ever done this. A singles night for Church 21. Uh, our aim is not to do speed dating that night. It's to do a, an incredible uh, uh, evening together. And I think it's going to be really, really good. I know all the plans that are, that are already uh, being worked out for that. But excellent, an excellent wife, Proverbs 31, verse 10, an excellent wife. Here's the thing, being excellent doesn't all of a sudden turn on after you're married. As I, I, I officiate weddings sometimes, and as people get married, there's not some little like switch under the booth that I just flip it, and all of a sudden you're going to be excellent from this point forward. Being an excellent spouse starts before you're a spouse, that you work on that beforehand. And as, as people are looking for someone to marry, as they're looking for someone to be with, if that's your, if that's your thing, we, we often, we're looking for the excellent person. And in that pursuit of looking for the excellent person, we find things that are completely wrong with other people. 
And I don't know if you've ever sat with a single person and, and heard all of the things that they're working through and thinking about, but so often it has to do with that guy or that, that girl. And sometimes we have to ask, well, what about you? What about you? Are you the excellent spouse? Are you working on yourself as well? Or are you pursuing everyone as if they need to be the ones doing all the work? Because if you enter into marriage with, I've got it all together, she's got some stuff to work on, but I'm willing to put up with her. It's like, this is going to be awesome. Your anniversaries are going to be killer. <laughs> Maybe literally speaking, right? But you work on yourself. This is how it starts. And I want to do one quick rant, and then we'll get into it, okay? Um, I think that we pursue one another. For those of you who are, who are dating or looking to date or looking to get married, I think we pursue one another, especially today, in very damaging ways because the main focus is on charm and beauty. In Proverbs 31, verse 30, the writer of Proverbs says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. And yet that's the way we as followers of Jesus, I'm not talking about the culture, I'm not talking about society, I'm talking about us. That's how we pursue people. Charm and beauty. I'm not against dating apps. I don't care about dating apps. I'm done dating, right? With my wife. I'm going to keep dating my wife, sure. We're not, we're not going to do a dating app together. That's not going to happen. We don't have time for that, right? But dating apps and speed dating, do you know what they focus on? Charm and beauty. I'm reading a book right now. I won't go into great depth of it. But she's a non-Christian talking about how dating apps turn people into consumable commodities. Non-Christian saying that we are taking away the personhood and making them into an avatar that we're willing to just slide through until we find the hot guy that maybe we want to go and believe all of the things that he's saying because he must be saying everything true. Everything on that app must be true about who he is or who she is because we don't lie, do we? I read a really long book a few years ago called Everybody Lies. It was kind of a waste of time because it was all in the title. But he was showing in great depth all of the research that what people say about themselves and yet what their Google searches show about themselves and tons of research that everybody lies. And yet this is the individualistic, the diminishing personhood, the consumable commodities that all of our dating and, and getting together, even in the Christian world, where it's all coming from. But the character, the character, you can't find out someone's character from their online profile. You can't find someone's character even in a few dates because, well, not guaranteed, some of us are idiots, right? But most likely, you're on your best behavior, at least on the first few dates. We don't know your true character. We don't know that yet. And we as the community, the church, we need one another to discern who is excellent. Who's going to be excellent for us? We need other people to view. And you can always, not always, but you kind of know when it's going to go bad. When everyone is saying about this person, she's not good for you. It's like, yeah, but you just don't know her. Yes, I do. You brought her around a lot. What does everyone else say about her? Well, that she's not good for me. Okay? But you think she's good for you. Yeah, 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 I do. You're an idiot, you know? Because we fall into the trap where my wisdom is sufficient. Everyone else has no idea what they're talking about. We need one another to discern who is excellent. All right, let's get into the actual text. Uh, there are three things, 
three things that are true about this excellent woman that are also true about excellent men. So there are three things we're going to talk about. The first thing that's most precious about this woman is found in verse 10 and in verse 30. Verse 10, it says, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. And then in verse 30 at the end, it says, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now we looked at last week, fearing the Lord isn't that like you're scared, you're you're, you're crouching, you're afraid that God might hit you. It's a reverence, it's a love, it's a desire for him, it's a respect, it's an honor. And the author of Proverbs is saying, a woman who fears the Lord, who loves God with all her heart, mind, soul, and strength, that's the most precious thing about her. And this is what's true about this woman here. And as we generally apply this to all men and woman, women, this is what is most precious about all of us is that we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That we want him to shape us and to reshape us. That he is our primary objective in all of life. That he is the most important aspect in all of life, in all of our dating, in all of our pursuit of our spouse. This is what matters most. This is what's going to matter for eternity. And if you're pursuing someone to, to marry, this is primary thing that you're looking at. Do they love Jesus? When I talk to my kids, I think only one of my kids is in here today. But when I talk to our kids about getting married, I said, the most important thing is that he or she would love Jesus. Oh, there's Malachi. All right, there's two of us. All right. Is that you would love, that they would love Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't care about much else that they would love Jesus and be obsessed with him because that's primary. There's no such thing as missional dating. I've had people convince me, try and convince me of this. Seriously, we're sitting in the office, I'm reading scripture to them about this, and they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm like, you're right, and that's why I'm reading scripture to you, because you don't understand. You don't get it. And they say, yeah, but what about that couple in our church that, uh, you know, she was a Christian, he wasn't, and she, I said, ask them about it. They would say, we do not prescribe this to you. This was stupid. This was not smart. Don't do this. It worked out for us. But for every one that it works out for, there's a whole host of people that it doesn't. It's like you live on different planets, completely. And you somehow think that those planets are going to align and somehow they're going to connect. Or you think that you're going to be the one that's going to convince them. The word of God is not enough. The spirit is not enough. But you, in all of your ruggedness, you're going to be the one to convince her. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. There's going to be eternal friction. Eternal friction and ultimately a good chance of eternal separation. This is really important. If you're looking to pursue a spouse, or if you're already married, keep pursuing your spouse and, and push them towards Jesus. That I want my wife to be way more in love with Jesus than she is with me. Because ultimately, she is his. She's not mine. Because this woman in Proverbs 31 loves Jesus, it says that she is trustworthy. Verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. Because she loves Jesus, she's trustworthy. And you might say, well, yeah, but non-Christians are trustworthy too. And I'd say, exactly, you're spot on. 
But the trust that they're talking about is a bit different. The, the trust here is that she wants God's fame and his flourishing of his kingdom to rule and reign over everything. That she's not primarily concerned with what her husband wants. She's concerned with what, with what God wants. She's concerned about what God is doing. And how can she support God and how can she support her husband in this? And this is why, um, as we get into Proverbs 31, this isn't a rule to live by, but a, but a heart. It's a heart that's submitted to God, that we find him most important, most precious, a heart submitted to him, and not a rule, that this isn't a rule that we follow. So the most precious thing about this woman, about all women, about any man, is that we would love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's so simple, isn't it? And yet we don't do that so often. The second thing that flows out of that is that this woman is a, is a servant. She's a servant in verse 13. And there, there are multiple places where we can pull things from this text, but it's just too big to get through in a manageable amount of time. Verse 13, it says, And she works with willing hands. You see, as we're going to see in just a second, she, she exists with others in view. There's a lot of talk about platform today, right? How many have heard that? Platform. We build a platform, right? And why do we build platforms? So that we can be successful. So that we can be seen. So that we can be known. So that we can become rich. So that we can tell, I mean, I get these, these Facebook messages all the time from this guy that's like, are you sure you don't want to bring home 100 grand in a week? I'm like, bro, if I could bring 100, like, have you seen what's happening in the stock market? Like, are you tapped into reality at all? Crypto doesn't exist. Like, are you, are you there at all? But he's trying to build his platform with me. Give me your money. Give me your stuff so that I can have a platform and you can lose everything, right? We want to build platforms for ourselves. But for this woman, she doesn't want to build a platform for herself. She's committed to her, to her spouse, to her home to her business, and to the needy. And so we're going to go through those four areas rather quickly. But she is a servant. So the, the thing that's most important about her is that she loves God with all her heart, mind, soul, and strength. And because of that, it flows into her being a servant in all of life. And the first place is, that we see this is with her spouse. So verse 11 and 12 and then 23. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And then verse 23, it says, Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Now, this is not supposed to be prescriptive, remember? So the woman is not making everything good, and the husband is sitting in his proverbial you know, recliner, giving everyone wisdom about what, how life is supposed to be. That's not it. But for her, the way that she sees her role in this relationship, and don't jump to any conclusions. Let me round out my things, okay? I just don't want to have to subset every statement I make with another statement. But she serves her husband. She sees her entrance into that relationship as, I am going to serve you. That I am committed to your well-being. I am committed to your thriving. I'm committed to you not lacking anything. His role in that city was to go to the city gates, 
right? So she's doing all the stuff that we're going to see in a minute. He's at the city gates, but that job at the city gates was really important because it was one of two, twofold position, really. One was to provide wisdom for the good of the city, to not just think about his little family, but the entire city, but also to provide protection for the city. So it was constantly looking in, what does our city need, and looking out, how do we protect the city from invasion, because that was a very real thing you had to worry about in that day. And that's a very real thing we have to worry about today as well in other parts of the world. So that was his role. And he was known in the city. He was known. And guys, this is kind of a a sidetrack for a second, but guys, be known. Be known. Live lives that are open. Live lives that other people know what you're about, what your struggles are. Be in relationships with guys. As Evan was talking about change groups, the one thing that he didn't say was that those are actually gender specific, that men with men, women with women, and be in a change group with guys that that are going to know you. Like, I'm going to tell you things that might make you feel very uncomfortable, but this is who I am, and I'm not going to hide anymore. Because when those things come out to the light, they lose their power. Other people ask you about it. Other people are ministering to you. All the addictions, all of the, all of the, the, the things that we do in hiding, they don't need to own us anymore. And this guy is known. He's known. Not in a famous way, but he's known. And she serves. She serves so that he can be there. Now, this isn't prescriptive again. It's not prescriptive. This is not Okay, guys, go do something where everyone will know you, whatever. Uh, women, just stay at home. That's not it. Not prescriptive. But in this day, this is how things rolled. And so this is giving us a window into the culture of what was happening. This is also when, when, when spouses come together. Uh, it's not a 50-50 thing. We're like really good with math, and we're like, well, 50 plus 50 is 100, 100%. We're going to give 100%. You know, it's like, that's not it. Because how many of our marriages continue like that? Like, we have people on our street right now. Uh, she got really, really sick. She's been in the hospital for a long time. She is contributing not very much to this relationship, in a sense, right? Marriage is not 50-50. He's not waiting at home saying, well, I'll see if this marriage will continue if you can make it back home and everything's fine. Like, that's not it. It's not 50-50. It's 100-100. And you're like, math doesn't work out. It's like, I know, but working in God's economy, not ours. And things don't always match up with what we thought it was going to be. Because as people come together, you're both called to serve one another. In a very real sense, you're becoming a new creation, You're coming together to be this new creature that has not existed before, where two people don't lose everything about themselves, but rather they bring all the fullness of who they are and all the brokenness of who they are, by the way, into that new creation. And no longer are they two flesh, but God says, now you're one flesh, and you begin to live out of that. And so for her, as she sees what her part of the flesh that is him, he needs to go do that. Great, well, I'm happy to serve in this way so that this can work out. And for him, he's saying, I'm happy to serve in this way so that you can be free to do these things as well. That's marriage. Two people fully committed to serve God and one another. Those are the best marriages that we can possibly have. She also makes sure that he is dressed well. Women, I'm going to prescribe that. Because so often... I'm about to leave the house, and Jess is like, is that what, that's what you're going to wear? I'm like, no. That was a test. 
what do you think I should wear? What do you think I'm really going to wear? And then she tells me, I'm like, exactly. That's doesn't always go like that, but, you know, I'm preaching. It always sounds really good. They dress well. Like, she's making his clothes. She's making him, him look well. Uh, he is loved. She knows, like, you go, and when you come back, you're not going to lack anything. Like, I'm fully here for you. Fully here for you. He is loved. He is without worry. He trusts her. And that's something that doesn't really exist in so many relationships. I was looking at new, um, new trends, which trends aren't always exciting, are they? And it was, oh, how did they phrase it in the article? Uh, ethical non-monogamy is the trend for 2022. Number one trend in relationships. Ethical non-monogamy. That I trust you enough that we're not going to trust one another. It's like, what? I don't get it. I don't get it. It's working out of a different economy. But for, for this relationship, some of you are still discussing, like, I still don't get it. I know. I know. We got to move on, though. All right? But he goes, and he's going without worry. I know that, I know that my spouse's heart is for me, and mine is for her. And he is, he is free to be focused. And he praises her at the end. Many women have done excellently, but you, you surpass them all. He's full of praise. If you're married, praise your spouse. Praise them often. Build them up. Encourage them. Lift them up. This is what's going on with him. And there's mutual praise and servanthood in marriages and relationships. Because this, your marriage ultimately is not about you. It's not about you. You're not brought into this relationship because you always wanted to be married. It's like you're brought into this relationship so that you learn more about what it is to lose yourself and, and to serve. And there are lots of extra benefits. Or marriage is incredible. But yet you find out what it really means to be a servant. And the way that she looked at marriage was that it's not about me. It's not primarily about me. But she's not just a spouse. She's also working in the home. And verse 27 says she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of Idleness. She's not at home, as it was said when I was a kid, eating bonbons, right? Which is French for candy, I guess. So, it, like, she's, she's doing stuff. She's moving. She is not lazy. She is not surprised by circumstances. It says in verse 25, she laughs at the time to come. She's like, go ahead, January in Quebec. Bring it on. I am ready. I am ready. Paula loves winter. I hate winter. She is like, bring it on. I'm like, let's move south. Lord has not allowed that to happen. But not surprised by circumstances. Her house is fed and clothed well. Verse 14 and 15, 21 and 22 talk about that. Verse 21 says, she's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself, her clothing and fine linen and purple like this is the best of the best and it's not to show how wealthy she is it's to show that she pays attention to make sure that what she's doing is appropriate to what the needs actually are she's ensuring thriving at home and things are thriving at home so much so that it says in verse 28 and this is a miracle you want to talk about miracles proverbs 31 28 might be one of the biggest miracles it's like resurrection and then this her children rise up and call her blessed I've never heard any of my kids get up in the morning and say, Blessed Mother, so thankful to be your kids, right? 
like, Mom, what's for breakfast? I'm hungry. I thought it was waffles today. It's like, make waffles yourself, kid. Right? Blessed. Blessed. That there's thriving that's happening within the home because of her work. Do others in your home, you might work that out later, buddy. Do others in your home, right? I'm giving you, it's like a softball, right? Take that and run with it tomorrow morning. Don't yell it though, because we like to sleep. Um, Do others in your home get your best? And I'm not just talking to women, men as well. Do others in your home get your best? Or do they get the leftovers? Do they get the best of who you are? Or does your work get the best of who you are? Do they get the best of who you are or does your exercise get the best? Do they get the best or does stranger things get the best? Which is coming around, okay? I'm a week further in. All right, it's coming around. But what gets your best? For this woman, it was her home gets her best. The home gets her best. She serves those that she's responsible for. Why? Because she knows that life is not about her. Kids don't exist to call her blessed and they call her blessed because they understand what's going on with her. That mom is not freaking out. Why don't you love me? Why don't you care for me? Why don't you do this? And sometimes we do have to say, why don't you say thank you ever, right? It's part of discipline and growing up. But she's serving, not so that she gets something from the kids or the people in the house, but because of her identity. She loves the Lord God with all her heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I'm ready to serve. And being a mom, being a dad, being a spiritual parent, uh, being a child of, of a parent who's addicted to things, sometimes the things that we have to carry are thankless, right? Thankless. But yet God sees every single thing that you are doing. Nothing is going to go unnoticed by him. Don't serve people for what you can get from them. Serve out of what you already have from him and be good giver aways of the things that he's given to us. So spouse, she's serving her spouse. She's serving her home. The third thing is that she's serving in business. She started a business to provide. Now, we don't have time to go into all this. But basically, she's a, this is why Proverbs 31 can be condemning to people, okay? Because she's a weaver. She is a distributor. She is into real estate. She is into vineyards. And she's into cultivation. And she's also into uh, managing the staff. And you're just like, I'm trying to pour cereal every day. And she's like out making grapes pop out somehow to dye them. And we like, just unreal, unreal. What we see about her and what we should apply to ourselves as well is that she's hardworking. It says in verse 18, her lamp does not go out at night. And that's not to say she never sleeps, but she is hard at work to provide. And the thing is, she knows her products. She knows her product really well. She knows that it is a a good product that is ethical. So many people start businesses that are unhelpful. When you ask kids about what they want to be during the pandemic, there was a a survey. Maybe I brought this up before. I don't remember in what what context I bring these up. But number one was that kids wanted to be some sort of helper staff. So doctor, nurse, someone that's contributing to that. The second most desired vocation was an influencer. TikTok, YouTube. It's like, what are you going to influence me with? Well, I haven't figured that out yet. It's like, how do you know it's going to be a good thing? Well, I'll know it's a good thing depending on how many followers I get. That's where we're going. Is it, is it ethical? Well, I don't really care if it's ethical. That doesn't matter. 
because I want a platform. But for her, she knows her product. She knows that it's desirous, that merchants are coming from afar to get this and buy it. She knows it's helpful. She knows that she's not ripping people off. And she's also an incredible boss. It says in, in Proverbs 31, verse 15, part C, it says that while well, she rises while it's night, provides food for her house, and portions for her maidens. The people that are working for her. She's the boss. I don't know how many CEOs you know that are, that are getting up early in the morning, show up to the office, and they're whisking away scrambled eggs, right? I'm so glad you're here. I made you scramble. It's like elf, you know, buddy. It's like you're just making things like spaghetti and maple syrup. It's all for you, right? So glad you're here. So glad you're awake. But this doesn't usually happen. You become a CEO or some C-suite level boss, and you expect that breakfast is going to be there for you. But she's up early making breakfast for them so that she can bless them and care for them. And she knows that when things go well with them, it's going to go well with the business. And she takes care of her employees. She's thinking about them before herself. Because what we don't see in here is that she's eating well. Sure she is. I think it's Simon Sinek that says, like, leaders eat last. That leaders eat last. She's a leader. She's a leader. Men can see obvious applications to ourselves as well. But business, business is not about you. Business is not to primarily put a paycheck into your account. That's not why you work. You're, you're working so that you can take that loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and the goods that you're receiving from him into a very specific workplace that probably none of us in the room can get into. And you're in that place because God has wired you with different uh, desires and intentions and gifts, and he's placing you there so that you can proclaim the excellencies of Jesus in an unreached people group that other people can't get into. That's why you're there. That you're to bring the goods, that you're to be the lead servant. That you're not saying, well, I've been here this long, therefore I get to, to do this, or I get these benefits. That's really great. But being a follower of Jesus means that we lay down our benefits often for the good of other people who are under us. So who is under you? Who is under you that you're caring about more than yourself? Who are you staying up late for or getting up early for so that they can be taken care of? What are you losing so that they can gain and benefit from? Because it's not about you. It's not about you. And the last group here is the needy. The needy, verse 20. So she serves her spouse, she serves her home, she serves her business, and then she serves the needy. It says in verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. And this has two different applications here. She opens her hand, which means she invites in. You know, it's that, that idea of feeding, feeding some little animal or something, right? You have something in your hand, you open it, and they come to it. That, hey, freely get it. I'm not going to grab you with the other hand. I'm not giving you this so that I get something out of you. It's that she's generous, hand open. Please take what you want. But the other thing is that, well, maybe people won't find my open hand so she actually pursues people to find the needy and reaches out. So not only is she here, hey, come to my field. I've left stuff extra for you to come and glean. But she goes out with campaigns to make sure that people in her town or city are taken care of. This woman doesn't live for the bottom line. And let me just apply this to all of us. We don't need to live for our bottom line. God has not given you, let's say you get... Uh, 
right? I'm trying to figure out a number. 500, 5,000, 50,000, 500,000. I don't know how much you get. Don't know how much you make. Don't really care. Your job is not to take that $500 and figure out how to make that $500 all about you. What can I do with this $500 for myself or that $500,000 for myself? God has given you that to become a steward for others. He's given you that to become a steward for others, that he longs for his heart to be inside of us. Evan talked about it quite a bit, so I'm not going to belabor the point this morning, but God desires for us to have a heart like him that is generous, looking to receive so that we can give more. Have you ever prayed for more money, more resources? I pray for it all the time, really. But not so that we can have a, a super killer house and a chalet and a boat and not that those things are bad. But it's like give us more resources so that we can give more away and we can support more church planters here in Montreal so that more people can come to know Jesus. Would you please give us that? We ask for more so that we can invest more into his kingdom and into his economy. This is really the heart of Jesus. That Jesus, though he was rich in everything, he became poor for you so that you could become rich. Imagine you invest in your RRSP year after year after year after year, and then one day you're like, okay, and you take a step back from all that and you give it all away to other people, and you enter into their poverty, their nothingness. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus said, I'm going to give you all of the things that I deserve, and I'm going to take on all of your debt against God. And I'm going to die for that so that you can have all of my stuff. And don't become materialistic with that idea. It's not about the stuff. And sometimes when we think about heaven, we think about the stuff still. But heaven and the new creation is really about being in the presence of God and not being addicted to the stuff anymore. Not being able to be addicted to the stuff anymore. That's good news for us. And Jesus wants to put that heart in us, not later, but now. He's freed us to be able to look at our resources and say, this is not about me. This is not about us. How do I leverage these things for other people? Do you have giving built into your life? And please, please don't be under the delusion that so many are under, that they say, yeah, yeah, I only make like $15,000 a year. When I make $150,000 a year, then I'll be generous. No, you won't. Just like the excellent switch. It's not like when you get married, flip the excellent switch. It's like when you get lots of money, you flip that generous switch. It starts when you have nothing. It starts when you have nothing. You learn about what it's like to give and, and to be in need. Um, I'll just share our story real quick. That uh, when we first got married, we were raising support to move here. And uh, no one would hire me because in the, the job application thing, my degree was in social work. I was trying to get a social work job. I was trying to get any job. I tried to get a waiter job. And they said, what's your long-term plan for this? I'm like, I don't like keep people happy with food. Like, I don't know. They're like, no, but like, how are you really going to invest in this place? I'm like, I'm not going to be here very long. As soon as we get enough support, I'm going to move to Montreal and like plant a church. That's what we're going to do. And they're like, oh, okay, we're not interested. That was my entire thing. And so I kind of had to take any, any job that came my way. And the job that came made us like, no, like negative money, basically. And I remember reasoning out in, in my, my mind and heart that, okay, this is going to be a season where we don't give anything. And so we, I, I just said to Jess, we're not going to give anything. And she probably said, well, like you should pray about that or something. But when I balance, we used to balance checkbooks. 
not in so distant past. I would balance things out. Every week, we had like $2 left, and it was like, maybe we could go to Target and like get a Starbucks coffee. I don't know. Like, and I'm, I'm, this is literal. And God said, no, I want you to give. And I'm like, we can't give. I want you to give. Okay, fine. And we started off with a 10% thing. Every check we get, 10% went into this thing. And it, I, I would tell Jess, we're going to get a call this week from the pastors of the church being like, why are you putting in these checks? They're overdrafting. It's costing us money. Costing, like, what's going on? And I would say to God, like, fine, here's my worship. You know, like, you're going to have to do something about it. Literally, no joke, every week someone came to us with money. They didn't know. We didn't tell anyone. I would go and speak at a church, and they're like, well, we can't support you, but here's $1,000. $1,000 was like a million dollars to me at that point. And I'm like, we can, we can eat meat this week. You know, amazing. But like, there, there's the money. There's the money. And God taught us during that period to just be generous. Let the gospel get a hold of my heart, not, not my checkbook balance, and allow for him to provide. Now, we don't be stupid, right? We're not dumb with our money. But that was a real challenge from, from God, and we've seen him continue to answer it. And I feel so free to speak about money within Church 21, because Church 21 doesn't give me any money. No money. Nothing comes to me from Church 21. So when I talk about it, and you're like, you just want a bigger house, you want blood, I'm like, I get nothing. So I'm so free. I feel so free. But as, do you have guilt, giving built into your life? You have it built into your life. And if you don't, you're missing out. You're missing out. It's not just the ministries or the whomever that's missing out, but you're missing out on getting the joy of partnering with God in these things. Okay, lastly, the third thing. So she was, she, her life was all about Jesus. The second thing is that she is a servant to her spouse, to her home, to her business, and to the needy. And the third thing is that she is noticed for not trying to be noticed. This woman is noticed for not trying to be noticed. That she is humble, that her platform is not for self-serving, but for serving others. And I'll go through this really quickly because I know we're pretty much out of time. But she's noticed for what she would want to be noticed for. She's noticed for her confidence in God. She's noticed for her strength and her dignity that she is above reproach, that she's noticed for his, her wisdom and kindness, that she has noticed that her life is about other people and the evaluation that comes from her husband, which I already read earlier. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. The kids, the husband, and the city all praise her. The husband, the kids, the city can't imagine life without her. She is indispensable in the spheres of relational influence where she exists, that she is like a source of life to people. And this means that she's poured out consistently, but it also means that she's filled consistently with the goodness that God has given to her. And let me end with this, that this, this whole thing, this Proverbs 31 woman applies to all of us so relevantly because this is our calling. This is our calling, that we are called and privileged to get to love Jesus with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that we get the benefit and privilege of being a servant to all, everyone in our city. And we get to serve in such a way that the city gets to see who we are and what we're about as followers of Jesus. And when they notice something, we get to then point all credit back to him. 
We don't need to get caught up in what others want us to be. This is what it means to be a woman in the 21st century. This is what it means to be a man in the 21st century. It's like, well, that's really good. It's good your list of 14 things. But primarily, these three things, loving Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, being a servant to all, and not reeking. Reeking is a bad word. Good, good reeking. You know, smelling sweet. Being the aroma of humility to a city that's pursuing Himself. This is what we're called to. And so, in a very real sense, Jesus is saying to Montreal through Proverbs 31 Have you considered my excellent spouse? Have you considered her? Have you considered what it would mean to be a part of her? Because it's not just a, a list of rules and regulations that you're joining up with, it's, it's this, this unity with Jesus and with all of his people. And in a very real way through Jesus' bride, the church, he is showcasing his goodness to the city. He's showcasing who he is to a city that's longing to find value, meaning, and purpose in anything, in anything. 